Welcome to Hero Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of saving the world and the quantum world realm, whatever that is. It's a different world, but the same world, kind of. That doesn't matter. We're here today to talk about the new Marvel movie, The Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Joined, as always, we have the lore master, Andy Smith. Andy Smith here, connoisseur of many nerdy things. Star Wars, Marvel, DC. Very, uh, very interested in deeping diet. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Diving Tell us deep. more about that. <laughs> diving deep into... Creatures that are holeless that become holeless. The oh, best creature. A holy creature. A holy I creature. Have, oh, How does so... one become holy in the quantum world? To answer those questions and many more, we have the fantasy expert, the superhero expert, the expert of all things quantum physics, even, Chris Pio. That is a, a lot. That's a huge mantle to uphold. I'm not going to be able to do that, but... I did see the movie recently, so we'll go with that. Chris Pio here. Uh, Good to be back in the Marvel Universe, even though we spent like five minutes in the actual Marvel 616 universe and kind of went down into Quantumania very, very early. So uh, we'll talk about that and more here on the pod. Excited to be back. Uh, You can follow uh, uh, all of our social accounts here uh, at Hoopla Podcasts, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow at Hero Hoopla on Twitter and Instagram to talk about the conversation, all things Marvel, DC, and anything flying off of the comic book pages. And of course, please follow our other content uh, uh, channels here at Holocron Hoopla for anything Star Wars and the galaxy far, far away. And of course, at Hobbit Hoopla for anything in the world of Tolkien and Middle Earth. Uh, We'd love to talk with you guys about what you thought about Ant-Man chapter three and the upcoming projects from both marvel and dc so get online let us know what you think about this pod and the future come on listen to to all the wonderful episodes we have recorded so far and we got a lot of exciting hoopla podcast planned for the future but before we get into all that we have one more very very important person to introduce here for this episode (laughs) in fact the most important person the Hoopla Podcast Network Employee of the Century, what? Jake Laxer. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so honored. I want to thank the Academy. I got to thank my mom and my dad. Uh, anyhow, Jake Laxer, lover of all things TV and movies, love to be diving back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a big review from small beginnings, and it'll be a great time. Um, but yeah, happy, I can't wait. happy to be back with the Hoopla Krupla. And uh, before we get started, uh, Jamie and I would like to announce our new starting podcast, Expanding the Hoopla Podcast Network with uh, Four Clicks Away. It's a podcast where we will take an overarching subject, go four subsequent hyperlinks away, and you might learn a thing or two about two totally unrelated subjects. You might (laughs) learn something. (laughs) You might not. But you know what? We can guarantee 20 to 30 minutes of entertainment, so... Toss it on, give us a listen, <laughs> and we look forward to uh, your support. So, without further ado, let's dive right in. Let's go to the quantum realm. Let's zip our way down into the quantum realm for this wonderful, magical adventure of excitement. That should have been the tagline for the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> Before we get started, I do have a question for you guys just about the viewing experience of the movie. I watched it in 3D IMAX on Jake's recommendation based on 
the Avatar movie that came out a couple months ago, saying that 3D IMAX was the absolute best way to watch these movies. And I was usually not a big 3D fan, but I figured I'd give it a shot. What viewing method did you guys have for this movie? My viewing method was a classic regular. Wow. Ooh, same. Wow. Standard 2D Standard on this one. 2D. I'm with you there, Andrew. Well, I'm glad I'm not boring like you Yeah, folks, I was going to say. Because I went IMAX 3D as well. Good call, Jim. <laughs> Way to go. Okay. Well, here's the thing that I wanted to discuss. I hated it. It was horrible. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, my And God. I don't know if that was, you know, maybe my eyes are bad or just IMAX 3D is a bad way to watch a movie but like whatever object they were focused on which was mm. almost exclusively close-up shots of someone's head they looked beautiful you know crystal clear <laughs> hyper 4k perfect visuals of that person's close-up of their head but then the entire background was out of focus for like almost the entire movie do I just have bad eyes? I don't know. Maybe. But it was a very disappointing viewing experience for me. And I don't think I'm ever going to do IMAX 3D again. Jamie, let me, oh, no. let me say something. It might be the movie. Because there is some issues with the volume that they used, that, they've, that Disney has used on Mandalorian and Boba Fett and others. There are some spotty parts in this movie. But we can dive a little bit deeper into so that. So when you bit. guys watched on 2D, did you notice the background being out of focus too, or was that just a IMAX 3D issue? I'm going to point out, and maybe this is just my ADD, ADHD, not paying attention or having the capability to pay attention to the, the foreground. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I love the, the three-dimensional experience. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I thought it worked out perfectly for this film. I would recommend the three-dimension for any quantum experience. Okay, that's fair. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you had a good time. You were the one that saw the, uh, the Avatar 2 in kind of the wraparound 270 wombo combo, whatever that's it's tr- called. Yeah, right? yeah. That, that that's experience. correct. The Screen X format. Right. A, a planetarium is what they're called. Oh, wow. Oh, I, did I didn't know, know that, that either. I, yeah. I, that feels like one of the made-up words from the <laughs> yeah. quantum realm. I watched it in the 2D standard as I tend to do. I, I don't really have a knack for the whole 3D experience. Uh, my eyes are not great. I am wearing glasses almost all the time for far vision. I never liked putting on the glasses on top of my oh, glasses. Yeah. I'm a standard glasses. 2D guy. I thought the film was fine. And Jamie, to your point, I never noticed that the background was out of focus or anything. I did notice that there was a lot going on. When we mm-hmm. saw the quantum realm in previous films, it was that there was a focus, but the rest of it was truly background. But in this film, it felt like they were trying to say, oh, hey, this is the quantum realm. Look at it. Take it all in. Because, by the way, we haven't explained that there's millions and trillions of civilizations and peoples here. So now you have to notice the background. And I feel like maybe they weren't prepared to tackle that in a 3D environment. So maybe that's why you disliked it. Maybe it's your eyes. You might need more carrots. I, I don't I've got to add a caveat <laughs> into my review. I do have 2015 vision, so that may have affected... Jake, Me enjoying get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about how good your eyes are. <laughs> yeah, my, these LASIK boys saw some really bad background visuals in oh, this film. Man. And I think it's more so in contrast. My, my issue, a, a lot of the time, especially in the first act, like once they get into the world and you're initially exposed, the, the, act, the actors, they almost seem separate from yeah. the background. 
Yeah, it really yeah. emphasized the fact that they were just standing in front of a green screen for the yes. entire filming mm. of the movie, which is the I opposite totally of what you want. Agree. Like, you want to be immersed in this world, but with the out-of-focus background, yeah. you know, it it just took you out of it. It was like, okay, I'm watching these actors who are probably not even in the same room together. You have three people having a conversation, but it's probably just an individual alone in a room yeah. being filmed, and then another individual alone in a room. Whereas in Avatar, you are fully immersed and there's no disconnection between the characters moving. And because they're also, you know, they have to be animated in a lot of ways. Sure. They're, they're kind of connected to the larger world. Whereas here, it's almost, yeah, you, you can almost see Michael Douglas walking across a stage. And then there's something that's going to be plastered on the back wall that's some beautiful visual. Yeah. But it just... Yeah. It, there's something wrong with how your eyes perceive that. Yeah. Some of the scenes where like Scott and Cassie were like running from danger mm. just looks so lifeless and, mm. and picked apart. Uh, it just, it, I can't imagine what it looked like in 3d because in 2d, it was so obvious that they were in front of a big green screen in front of the big, uh, uh, window. What do they use yeah, for Mandy? It's, it's Mando, the volume. Andy? Yeah. It's like, volume, a, it's like an LED right, yeah. screen almost that they're, <clears throat> yeah. they're projecting Which, on. and again, the visuals of this movie were stunning. There's no doubt about right. it, but we're talking yeah, about specifically the contrast between the foreground and the background right. and the 3D environment of it all. It just, it, I can't imagine it worked good. I thought it worked great. Uh, personally, I wasn't, you know, taken <laughs> out of it. I thought it worked very effectively. To be fair, to be fair, it. though, Oopla. to be fair, I will, I will admit fair. that it does make sense that they stitch the two portions together because... They put such mm. an emphasis in in the CGI world building for this quantum realm. Um, they really did focus on trying to make that look as sci-fi. I'm going to use that as a term as possible. Uh, but when they, you know, Scott Lang was first attacked by that sun monster, mm. which then became an, a giant amiibo with its cilia chasing after uh, <laughs> after them. I thought that was a great introduction to the quantum realm. I really did enjoy that being the first sort of. I thought yeah. that was cool. Yeah, I, I, I loved all I don't parts. need to disregard. In fact, some of the action scenes where they were interacting with, uh, I guess you just call them foreign entities, and you'll pretty much encompass right. everything. Mm -hmm. Is you know the combat and the choreography and the things like that looked pretty mm. good. It's just when you could tell that there was nothing else happening and they were just walking through a static world. Mm -hmm. That just looked, I'll use the word again, because it truly was lifeless. Yeah. And I wanted to be immersed into this quantum world. Like the whole lead up to this movie was like, hey, we're going to this whole new world. It's going to be crazy, filled with insane new creatures, crazy physics that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And we're going to watch this movie. It's going to be similar to Avatar and, and the fact that we'll be diving into this world and being fully immersed. But I just felt like I was completely separate from the world that they were supposedly interacting with so that was just kind of disappointing from a viewing experience perspective but yeah the movie overall we can now maybe talk about some of the the plot and character aspects of this movie jim can you do me a favor yeah can you go watch this movie again in 2d <laughs> absolutely not we're in the middle of recording a podcast my friend oh, oh shit my bad okay let's please continue please proceed my my mistake but if i did go watch it again in 2d I would absolutely love every single second that Jonathan Majors was on screen as Kang, oh, the Conqueror, and other Kangs. So we're going to lead? Where you, we're going to lead with that? Gonna, you go in with Jonathan Majors. How great yeah. is An Jonathan absolute, Majors in this yeah. role? 
I completely agree. And I'm going to start the conversation with Jonathan Majors by saying this is about to be one of two things, either the career role of a lifetime or, and I don't want this to happen, Marvel will somehow fumble the bag Mm. and make Kang not nearly as threatening, not nearly as menacing, and totally, totally, totally inept compared to Thanos. Mm -hmm. It is a tall task for the writing team. It is a tall task for Jonathan Majors, but Jonathan Majors was absolutely perfect, and he is up to the challenge as long as Marvel gives it to him. The casting was done perfectly. Absolutely perfect. Can can I put out an unpopular opinion? Yeah, go for sure. it. Sure. I, I love Jonathan Majors, and I think his portrayal... Okay, now, now I don't want to hear the rest of the sentence. If you're going to say a but, then no, you cannot <laughs> gonna, put that I'm gonna put, I'm going to put a but, but it does not have to do with Jonathan Majors in any way. And I, uh, his delivery of that character is menacing and is up to said potential challenge to be the next Thanos over the next five years or whatever it is. But I think this movie undercut him. Because he lost to the Ant family. And I don't appreciate just seeing what they're doing with the end credit scene, and we'll get to that, of how they're really setting him up to be the future of the Marvel Phase 5 and Phase 6. He lost to Ant-Man and being shot into another realm or blasted away by the Wasp. And I, I think the structuring of this movie was its downfall. Like... This is this movie was not an Ant-Man film in the context of the first Ant-Man film and the second Ant-Man film. And then now it's this crazy, fantastical epic of with the Ant family facing off against Kang. You know what have been a better introduction for Kang is just the movie Kang the Conqueror. Hmm. You know, like I felt like he was the good part of the movie and you'll see the critics. I, I think everyone agrees that he was wonderful. Right. The other aspects of the movie were mediocre in a lot of ways. Right. And it depends on were you like, did, did you favorably like Jonathan Majors and Kang enough to say it was a good movie? Or does the other part like kind of take away and say, oh, this is actually not that great of a movie. Um, I just think that they kind of undercut him when he lost to Ant-Man. Bad taste in my mouth. That's a great point, Andy. Like if he's going to be this menacing villain for the whole next phase or two of the mcu and then he's at like his most powerful at the start of this movie or like when we meet him in this movie he has an entire army the whole quantum realm is his he controls most an entire universe he's just locked away into one universe and then yeah he gets defeated by a bunch of ants it diminishes the the fear that we should have for this great powerful villain i I think he's super menacing like his portrayal is incredibly menacing and jonathan majors as kang the conqueror and also the the other kangs they're all scared of him as well i just don't know if i appreciate that decision to introduce him in this ant-man film yeah i mean i I get where they're going with trying to introduce the the real threat for the next part of the mcu is all of the kangs taking over which is one way to do it. I don't know if anybody out here has read the Mistborn books, but that's a fun little, you know, a similar idea of there's the villain, but if you defeat the villain, what happens next? So that's going to be interesting, I think, to see all of the Kangs. But right now, I'm not really afraid of Kang the Conqueror, which is, I guess, 
maybe the opposite of what they wanted to happen at the end of Quantum Mania. I've been holding my tongue on this. I'm going to play contrarian here and say that you guys are wrong. Your opinions may be correct. And contained within this movie, I thought the same thing. Sure. He loses to Ant-Man? He loses to Ant-Man? He lost to Ant-Man! Because <laughs> I think you guys are not seeing the bigger picture. And, and yes, it's obvious with the end credit scene, which we'll get to later in this recording, that there's going to be a bigger threat. Of course, the, the key mark thing at the end for Marvel, Kang will return. We know that. He's going to be the big bad. And they're going to make it threatening and menacing. But within this movie, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Because yes, he lost to Ant-Man and the Wasp and a bunch of ants. But mind you, those ants are part of a type 2 civilization. And if you're not familiar with, like, scientific civilization theory, you know, the Fermi paradox and all that stuff, fantasy you can go look at that on your own. Pio. You can go look at that on your This is more sci-fi yeah, than fantasy, yeah, but type 2 civilizations are able to harness the power of their energy source by fully encompassing it and creating and, and, and realizing that energy source. We are... As humans on this scale, uh, about 1.7, 1.8 type civilization, because we can harness most of the power of our star sun, but not use it entirely encompassingly. These ants are type two. These are advanced ants. No, I advanced get, I, But that's not I, my I, major I point. I, I that's not my major point. The bigger point here, and I wrote this down as a note, Thanos, and I know we're going to do this for the next phase five and phase six, yeah, compare and contrast. Course. Thanos was a fantastic villain. Mm -hmm. But Kang will be a even better character. I don't need him to be the looming big bad threat. I want to see Jonathan Majors pull off a hundred different Kangs over the course of the next 10 years in Marvel <laughs> history and then wrap it all back up for Secret Wars, which has already been right. announced yeah. for the end of phase six. I think he is up to the mm -hmm. challenge and I do not think that it matters at all that he lost in this movie. Thanos had a major head start, okay? When we first got introduced to Thanos in the end credit scene of, uh, I think it was, I think it was, was it the first Ant-Man? Yeah, I think it was the it Avengers. Was, it was Avengers 1. Yeah, it was Avengers Oh, one. no, he was in Avengers but, 1. When no, he, he says... Was, yeah, he was in Avengers 1. When uh, The final do-it-myself scene, when he first gets the Infinity Gauntlet. I'll do it myself. Thanos had a major head start. They, the Avengers had just learned, even Nick Fury himself had just, S.H.I.E.L.D. had just learned about galactic-level threats. They had no idea about this. Thanos had a major head start. Of course he was going to have victory after victory. Kang is in this microcosm universe... And Ant-Man has already saved the universe, and we get plenty of people who are already tapping into the multiverse. Wanda is one of the most powerful characters in the world. Doctor Strange is becoming one of the most powerful characters in the world. The Avengers are now bigger, so it's okay if Kang loses because Kang has to get bigger, and we know he will. I don't mm. think it's a problem that he loses in this film. Maybe I don't want to say that you guys are wrong. I just, I, I, think, I think you need it, to look no, bigger. But I think that's it a great point. him as a character. I'd still do, even after that spiel. I there he shouldn't this is should not have been the introduction. I enjoyed it. I think it was great. But he's Kang the Conqueror. He's not the other variants. The other variants are lesser Kangs to him. The ending see, he, he had the saying. opportunity to leave the quantum realm so many times, but he kind of just like stood around, and just waited 
to make a speed. It was his arrogance. Or, yeah, just he like has Thanos. An ego. Sure, he has but an ego. it just it it undercut him a bit. Let me say this isn't the first time the Mar- the MCU has like done something like this before, where they've kind of messed up with a power struggle or, uh, or in terms of like a hierarchy of sort of ability. Um, I remember having this conversation with Jim immediately after uh, Endgame. It made zero sense after Thanos acquired the Infinity Gauntlet, where he was able to be overcome by the other superheroes. In fact, when he did not have the Gauntlet in Infinity War, he almost appeared stronger than when he actually had it in Endgame, which made no sense to me at all. But this, kind of like as Chris was justifying... It does make sense that if you defeat Kang, he will just come back stronger. And I think, as Chris is sort of alluding to, if you think bigger picture, it does begin to sort of make sense. So I'm, I'm on board. I think Marvel realized that they recognized that that was a flaw in their initial story arc. Um, and they're trying to adapt to that. But you're right, Andy. I mean, it, this is Kang the Conqueror. It's not like the other Kangs that we've seen in the post credit scene that are all trying to you know figure out who's now going to take the throne. I, I agree, and we could talk about this for a while, and I'm glad we are, because again, you started this conversation, Jamie, with Jonathan Majors, who I think all four of us agree is up to oh, the Oh, up to his, like, his actual portrayal, some of these scenes he's in are just incredible. Yeah, absolutely- totally agree. Again, he's up to the task. The last thing I'll say on this is actually a prelude to a, a segment that I want to put at the end of the pod. So if you're listening Ooh, out there, stay and we've been rambling for far too long... Stay tuned because I think I think Jonathan Majors and I think more importantly, he who remains has something to do with Quantum Mania. And we'll talk about that towards the end. Ooh. I'm really excited to get to those points. A little but teaser. We've got a lot to talk yeah, about. Let's talk about first. the actual Boy, movie. We, we talked ever. a lot about the future of the MCU yeah. <laughs> here. Uh, maybe maybe we're avoiding talking about Quantum Mania <laughs> because we weren't super invested in the story that we got here, but Jamie, can we just talk about the best scene in this movie to me? Please do. Which what is, is the best the, scene? The prison scene. Uh, Jonathan Majors, he walks in as Kang. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> Ant-Man <laughs> is there in the prison and then behind. All right, we need to stop talking Cassie. about Jonathan Majors because we need to talk about something important. Jonathan Majors. <laughs> <laughs> the be- that sequence between... Uh, Kang and, and Ant-Man when he essentially Cassie. forces and Cassie forces right. Ant-Man to go and do his bidding. That was the moment that you could tell, yeah, this is the character that can live up to Thanos. Like, the menace, it, the delivery is so not dry, but so stoic. And But there's little cues, like emotional cues on Jonathan Major's face that like you're like, this guy is actually insane under that exterior right. yeah like he's you can just tell that he he at any moment he could go off and takes cassie throws her up to the top of the ceiling eventually drops her yeah like right. that was terrifying and i think the best part of that movie the point that hammers that scene home for me was a the comic relief worked when he said oh avenger have i killed yeah, you before yeah. are you the one with the hammer yeah. that comic that relief huge. absolutely worked for an ant-man movie Yep. But then later, Kang never learns that he's called Ant-Man and does call him Ant-Man, which means that proves he absolutely did know yeah. who Ant-Man mm, yep. was. That point is hammered home very effectively because you're right. He is deranged underneath that outside exterior. He didn't know who Ant-Man was, air quotes, 
in order to intimidate him and say, oh, I've killed plenty of right. adventures. But he does know who Ant-Man is. And that's how you know he is a Right, conqueror. he's a brilliant character who knows how to get his way. Absolutely. Yep. I want to talk real quickly about the first prison scene in the movie. <laughs> when we're still oh, nah. back uh, in world. San Francisco. Earth prison. Or jail, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> regular Earth <laughs> prison. It's just a jail. Uh, I, I think how they incorporated and still are still incorporating the blip and all yeah, of the problems that, cool. that the real world might face with this is, is positively brilliant. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know Phase 4 of the shows, some of the stuff that's come out has been a little less than exciting on the quantum or on, on the universal scale, but they're handling stuff at home on Earth very effectively. And I think this movie mm -hmm. just further hammers it home. Cassie is very, very well in, ingrained in like helping people, uh, making sure that you know displaced and homeless people have a place to live. This rings true for Aunt May from Spider-Man No Way Home, who was also doing that fundraiser for displaced peoples yep. of the yep. blip. So I think Marvel is, you know, obviously we have that in Miss Marvel, yeah. the same thing. People are worried about the blip. And then, of course, Falcon you go Winter all the way Soldier. back to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Bingo. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're handling the in-universe ramifications at the same time as we're getting this cosmic battle, multiversal level threats. So as long as they don't keep forgetting about that, which they haven't, I think it's working really effectively. And, and it helps Cassie's story mm -hmm. because obviously Scott was in jail and we've known that for three hey. times. You get that cheeky scene, Andy, in the prison scene where he goes, oh, I've been in jail four times. This is your third? Oh, wow. Yeah, big whoop. Yeah. That's a great scene. Uh, <laughs> But it helps his overall arc because Scott does not feel that Cassie should be doing these things. And then, of course, in the end, we know he, he does not necessarily sacrifice himself because he does get home and live and he's all well and good. But he understands the fighting for the greater good rather than just keeping his family safe. Yeah, I thought so that, that first prison scene, I think, was important. Yeah, it was to set up Cassie as a character. Um, you know, now that she's grown up a little bit from the first time we saw her in the first Ant-Man movie, I thought Cassie and... Scott Lang were a great little mm -hmm. duo for most of this movie when they were out together yeah. adventuring through the quantum realm. Uh, I really liked, does she have a superhero name? Probably not, but let's make up a superhero S name for Cassie. Stinger? Stinger, apparently, Stinger, if they're okay. going to follow anything from the comics. Mm, sure. Well, um, she was, I, I really enjoyed her in this movie. Um, Same. Like I said, I didn't so much enjoy some of the other characters, like when they went to the quantum realm and split up to Scott and Cassie, their story I think was very good. Meeting up with the residents of the quantum realm, the, these people who had also been displaced from their homes, tying in Cassie's fight from earth, bringing it down to the quantum realm. Uh, I do think there were some issues with the writing there. You know, the, the classic trope for writing is show don't tell. And for these displaced mm -hmm. people in the quantum realm, they were just like, Oh, we don't have a home. Yeah. That was it. That's their whole backstory. We don't yeah. have a home. Like, show us what show us Kang taking over your home. Don't just tell us that you guys right. don't it looks like you have a home. You've got these buildings that are alive. Looks like you guys got a Oh, that and a that place is that live. cool. That was a cool Once again, capture. like the world itself is beautiful. Yeah. It was like very mm -hmm. interesting. All the creatures in a lot of ways, uh for you Star Wars nerds out there. Star Wars, Star Wars, of, Star Wars, it, Star Wars, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminded me of Kafreen within Rogue One. There were some creatures yeah. that, like, it kind of looked like a Star Wars world. Like, yeah. the different types of creatures that you interact oh, with. Oh, I guarantee you, 
they, they just probably walked from lot to lot yeah. and <laughs> borrowed some props. Yeah. I guarantee yeah. it. What do you mean props? This was all CG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stop sure there was there was, there was one yeah. point in the movie where um or, yeah. the wasp, I forget her human name. Um Hope. Oh. Yes, sorry. There was one Evangeline there was one point Lilly? where Hope Van Dyne was um wearing a costume that looked identical to a Luke Skywalker costume from yeah, uh, when Empire. they were walking <laughs> that initial market, he had like the, yeah. the, the hat and the the little scarf thing with the goggles on top. I was like, "Hey, yes, yeah. it's Luke Skywalker." We're gonna be the next the next podcast is gonna be a deep dive on connections between costuming <laughs> between Star Wars and Ant Man Quantumania. <laughs> Hell yeah! One thing that drove me up the wall though is you know I thought I thought she played a great character, Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, but reveal the context of your time in the quantum realm it took that was half so the movie, frustrating three quarters of the yeah. movie it's your yeah. family just tell them <laughs> I know. well yeah well and jamie to your point show don't yeah. tell i yeah. I, I think they could have done it 30 minutes earlier in the movie that whole expose dump and they should have transposed that with the same story coming from the survivors mm. that Kang and or that uh, Ant Man and and the and Cassie Stinger, yeah. <laughs> Cassie, <laughs> that Scott and Cassie run into first. Yeah. They should have transposed those two stories and shown, not told. I think it would have been a much more or effective. Or even just tell us at that point. They spent right at least an or hour just tell us. saying, "Oh, we need to go find this guy." Who's the guy? Right. I can't tell you right. who the guy is because things happened. Right. Oh, what happened? It's, I can't tell him. you. We got to find the guy. Oh, he's going to be, <laughs> yeah. he's yeah, going to help us or him. he's going to hurt us. Like, who is he? I can't tell you who he is because we have to go <laughs> find the guy for an hour. I was like, this is right. unbelievable. And we have yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer absurd. just phoning it in on a green screen for three hours, not oh, even pretending to act. Yeah. Sorry to Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, I don't know. Okay, no, I actually, I, I mean, I she's thought better she, than no, that. I, right. I think she, that, yeah. her, the actress was fine. That was just terrible writing. The dialogue right. that she had. Right. If I was, was an actor the, was and I picked up, if I picked up that script, I would immediately roll my eyes because there was so yeah. many terrible, quippy pieces of dialogue in this, the, this movie. But even before that, before the movie even began, are you telling me Janet Van Dyme? leaves the quantum realm after being there for 20 something years and doesn't say a single thing about there being a giant civilization Thank in you. the quantum realm like that's insane she right. lies about her husband has been studying the quantum realm for his entire scientific <laughs> career and she discovers practically the most important thing yes. in all of science ever <laughs> And fails to yes. mention it one time because she doesn't want to get her feelings Chris hurt. Chris is maxing out the microphone. Okay, and I even, I, so I guess. I'm sorry, Andrew, I totally yeah. agree. I'm glad you said it. Keep I, going. Keep <laughs> spitting that fire, dog. So, but I, <laughs> now I've lost my train of thought. He's on fire. Looking at you yelling. Sorry. All right, so. Sorry. But, but the, I, I get her point of maybe not mentioning Kang because she has like some internal distress. Like she, so she had a terrible time when she was in the quantum realm. But how did she not? She they all thought this was just a little rock. A quantum realm is right. just a little like there's it's lifeless. There's nothing happening. 
she Scott calls it a wasteland. She could have mentioned the fact that she started a rebellion. That she <laughs> met another human or not human Bill Murray, who shouldn't have been in this film. I love Bill Murray, but there is zero uh, reason he who needs to be there. Stop. I, no. I thought he, he was fun. Uh, he was yeah. fun. Was no, it was, it was fine, but honestly, they could have met, he, uh, I was going to say he who remains, they could have met Kang on that, on that platform instead and bypassed ha- like the next like 10 scenes. That would have helped introduce so much faster. So he, uh, she, her relationship with Bill Murray, I thought that was kind of funny. It was <laughs> like, funny. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like she should have, even if she didn't want to go into the details of what she experienced for a lifetime in the quantum realm, just say, hey, the quantum realm's Blah. fucked up. You should not study it because <laughs> there's a chance that the entire universe dies if you look too deeply into the quantum realm. Just say something as simple as yes. that. Right. Because yeah. right. If Hank yeah. Pym is still actively studying the quantum realm, that just puts everything at yes. risk. Totally and we literally just solved the entire universe's issue from yeah, all of the just risk. Just leave ever. the quantum realm alone, <laughs> yeah. and we're good. Yeah, like we finally <laughs> fixed things. He's over here like baking cookies and making food with Hank Pym, <laughs> and he's over here like over in the garage building a, a a GPS into the quantum realm, and she doesn't know that either. Like right. I, that the whole setup to this part of the movie didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like there are some plot holes here that. And I know you probably aren't going to like it, but in phase two and three, this would not have been the writing for these movies for this movie. True. It would have been buttoned up more than this. That that wasn't a plot hole. That was a plot earthquake. (laughs) It was just the plot. (laughs) Plot sinkhole. It was actually just the plot. Chris, let me ask you this. Where where was this on the Richter scale for you, Chris? What? This was a full no, 10 out of 10. This was God. a devastating. Jeez. I mean, we need FEMA. We need NATO. We need, we need the UN. We need everyone here. We, this is an Avengers level oh, threat, no. this writing. Oh, my God. I, I, I will say that's probably the, the most egregious error in the film. I think if you can look past that, which I can't, and I don't think any four of us and many of the audience goers can, if you look past that, it, it gets a little better. They do at least explain how you have to look deeper to find the civilizations. And, and right. then, of course, you know, it's a, little, it's a very small thread to pull, but we do see a city in the background of the quantum realm. I in couldn't the second see it. Ant-Man it film. was out of focus so, for yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you know, seven years ago, whenever it was. There was a city there, and, and they just kind of, you know, put it there so that they could play with it in later films. Is that a which doesn't Easter really count egg, for me. Chris? An Easter egg? Oh, wow. I wouldn't necessarily call that it an Easter egg. You wouldn't call anything an Easter egg. Well, okay, now it's, now film, it's, not, it well, now it's no egg. longer an Easter egg. <laughs> now it's an Easter chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's no Strider. Go to the north and find Strider. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a dunadine and you should read i could not agree more andrew i'm so glad you brought that up because i, I didn't want to be the one to brought, bring such negative energy to the pod but you did it and now i've kind of exploded on top yeah, let's of bring some positive so, no, that's so. okay but let me bring some positivity with my well I, my positive take is that that is the worst most egregious failure of the film <laughs> okay can, the can fact I, that she said nothing can i give you another positive take please do which is not positive because sure. i'm gonna bring a negative oh take to you <laughs> oh with jesus again our favorite character from ant-man one modok 
<laughs> what do you guys think about Modoc? <laughs> I think mm. one of my favorite lines from the movie came from Cassie talking to Modoc. She said, you're never too old to not be a dick or something. I, I guess it wasn't my favorite line because I don't remember what it was. <laughs> it's but never too late. Yeah, like, was, it's it's never too late to not be a dick. <laughs> Paraphrasing. And then he comes in and he says, I'm not a dick. And then he finally fights against Kang yeah. after right. being bullied by him for yeah. however many years. Corey Stoll. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. love that actor, by the way. No. He was one. He was wonderful. Right. As Not a very Jared. menacing threat. Right. If he was d- designed only for killing, right. he uh, so. But his design, I thought his design was very cool. When he had the mask on, when his mask went up, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> and we all know what Modok <laughs> is supposed to be a funny, like right, right, a comical character, a comical from relief. that perspective. Sure. Yeah, but they really went for it, and they just stretched his face across <laughs> that screen. And every time he talks, you're like, ooh, this is kind of awkward to even, like, look at. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild. Not to mention his dialogue was horrific. Right, which I, I can only yeah. imagine, like, how long it would take to accurately or correctly CGI his face into that super chair, if you want to call it that. But uh, <laughs> that's probably why they killed him off so quickly, honestly. It was probably very expensive to uh, maintain that. <laughs> Cause I I like Modok like I, like the show I mean, is, is cool. funny yeah like cool. Modok's funny like Modok's supposed to be super entertaining as a villain and Patton Oswalt yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I just don't think it's sustainable honestly and and like like we said it was kind of disgusting to, <laughs> to just yeah. but why did weird. why did they have to bring in a great so one of the in my opinion and it was very self contained. Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man 1 is one of my actually one of my favorite villains in Marvel. It was mm, very small sure. scale, it was very contained, but he was menacing. You knew his um what his what he was trying to achieve. He would do anything sure. to achieve, like beating Hank Pym. And like now it's kind of like, oh, and by the way, when he kind of shrunk down, he actually got sent to that one place in the quantum realm. His face got in imploded and now he has mini arms you're like how does this compute like <laughs> what a character arc i thought modok worked well enough right. i mean he would only work in an ant-man movie yes. that's that's rule number one and rule number two is as long as you didn't forget about him in ant-man one and andrew clearly didn't uh, being a top villain for him if you go back and, and watch that scene, he does actually get shrunk like one piece at a time. So at Which least it makes sense. Death. And then, of course, it's an off screen death. So we don't really know what happened to him. So I, I was fine right. with it. Kang style. <laughs> Kang yeah. style. It, oh, yeah. It's a good parallel, yeah. actually. This yeah. is honestly like the exact same yeah. way that both yeah. villains were defeated. You're exactly right. Uh, I, I, I was fine with it. I, I thought, I mean, A, someone needed to get him to you know, the quantum realm and B all the villain always has a henchman. And, and so I thought it was a, a good reveal. I thought Modoc just got worse and worse as the I movie went on. Uh, and maybe that's yeah. attributed to yeah. the writing. Um, the only thing that would have saved the character for me is if he had died before his actual, like 
the the cheap jokes at the end like if he had died like fighting kang and like exploding the uh, safety bubble or whatever you didn't want him to die uh, as an avenger that, that kang was using to fight right. exactly like die in a fiery <laughs> explosion of 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 passion and revenge don't don't die the cheap jokes just did not work at the very end because we were trying this goes to the point of how kang is not a very menacing villain i mean he he died to the ants and then they had this whole yeah. scene where yeah. modok uh where where Darren, <laughs> Darren was just dying. Yeah, he was like, at least that, I died. I mean, that Avenger. was pretty funny that they Those kept jokes. I mean, if he's supposed I, to be I, a, a funny that. little villain, I think that was a, a fun way to end it, claiming to be an Avenger, and yeah. then Scott and Hope right. were just I like, just uh, here, here's the thing. Yeah. But then he died. The, no, 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 the, the, don't play a dick thing. And when he charged in and said, "I'm don't, I, it's not too late to be a dick," <laughs> yeah. I thought that yeah. worked. That was yeah. funny. That was great. That worked for the right. film. But then, like the. Uh, the the whole death right, scene uh, that dragged on right. for five he was minutes. Spitting I thought up that as did well. not work at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was so yeah, dumb. Was I don't. Um, yeah, what one thing that I just think they should have considered is like they introduced the character to be sort of serious, which is atypical for the character to begin with, mm-hmm. and then at the very end, like as he's dying, now he's hilarious. Like I, yeah, like why, yeah. why not well, just he make was, it funny he was, from the get go? There was a lot of quippy. That there was he. Really, throughout the movie, I thought he was making kind of quippy jokes to, but not like, I mean, not, not to like the level of like the last level scene. of what Modoc should be, right? Yeah. Like, I like thought he's normally like hilarious. You're right, though. His introduction when he's flying through, wiping out this once again, this movie could be a lot more serious, and I think these moments would not have been. I'm using the word undercut it a lot because it keeps coming to mind. Where like a lot of these jokes throughout this movie undercut the seriousness of the situation. So when that mm-hmm. when yeah. the 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 city is getting blown up, the 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 band of rebels, then there's this whole like sequence with Cassie and Scott where he teaches her how to fight, and but there's people dying all around them, like, and he's like, oh, <laughs> just do a little jump tap, you know, and do it like this, and it's like. Da, 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 da. And there's like a person getting shot down in the background. Yeah. And you're like, what is happening, Scott? You're the worst superhero. <laughs> yeah. Not according All to right, the we book. Got, he we got wrote. a transition. Yeah, let's transition because I, I have a few moments that I really enjoyed from this movie. You know, right. if we just yep. forget and, about the story yep. and the writing and the background being out of focus and the plot holes <laughs> and the bad cinematography, <laughs> we'll forget about that. Speaking <laughs> of holes, there, the, that, oh, the guy with holes. no holes yeah, was very funny. Let, and then when he finally got Veb, holes, Veb. Veb, I'm going to argue Veb was the best character in this film yes. outside of Jonathan Majors. <laughs> and Cassie, I like Jonathan Cassie. Majors, Veb. <laughs> da- yeah, David Desmalchian absolutely destroyed on the screen. Like, uh, he he did great in Suicide Squad as Polka Dot Man, but like this guy just has a knack. Oh, I didn't know that comedy. was him. That yeah, is we needed yeah. more of him. He's that, a great yeah, actor. that guy was great, but he's he was only on screen for like I don't know two minutes, but the two minutes he was there, he was he was fantastic. Also, William Harper Jackson, Cheedy, Qu- 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 give the characteristic Quelth mind reading guy. Name? Oh, Quaith was Game of Thrones. Oh, mind reading guy. That's oh, yeah, mind reading guy. He's Quas. Cheedy, uh, Qu- yeah, Cheedy from the Good Place, who's no stranger to multiversal uh, time yeah. loops. Uh, he he yeah. was excellent, uh, and I would kind of hope he has a more prominent role going forward. We'll see. 
Yeah, we'll see what yeah. happens. But Jamie, I'm sorry. We're talking all over your, your favorite yeah, points yeah. of the film. Let me talk about some of my favorite moments. Um, I really liked it when uh, Scott went down into the energy core. Yeah. You know, he mm. shrunk down to the quantum realm within the quantum realm or whatever. Right. And he was in this probability of possibilities. Or, probability yeah. zone or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probability yeah. storm. Whatever that was. And then he, there was like a million versions of him. The... uh Baskin Robbins version of Scott <laughs> Lang showed up for some that reason. That was great. That was I some fun was little. Funny. Oh, Chris, you are such a party pooper when it comes to comic relief. I hate what? it. These are fun. I hated the Baskin oh, Robbins guy. Boo this man. Well, and I'll tell boo you why. This man. I'll tell you oh, wait, why. Chris. If they're get, gonna get have, let me finish Chris. my they're point. Gonna, get out of here, Chris. Hopefully, are we gonna talk about this or no? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to say my favorite moment was when. Um, <laughs> the Baskin Robbins guy showed up. <laughs> the Baskin Robbins <laughs> guy was there. No, when when all of the the probabilities of Scott Lang as Ant Man formed together oh, yeah. and then acted as, as an one. ant colony yes. to yes. to the energy core, and then oh, the wasp yes. showed up. Yeah, you guys didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so he was an Ant Man ant colony. Yep. I love that decision. That as was well. fantastic. And then the wasp oh. came in with all of her possibilities that she was you know struggling with, and then when they connected. And shut down. Oh all my god, there's the, a swarm. Yeah, a, a, a swarm of wasps in an ant colony. Then the collapsed the probability oh. to a single point where it's just the two of them. That was yeah. my favorite scene of the whole movie. I thought that yeah, was awesome. really cool that way was, to do it. It was brilliant. It was actually yeah, brilliant. That's good. And it, it's doubly brilliant now that you just brought up the colony and the swarm. I didn't consider that. Uh, that's actually something I was going to bring up on this podcast too, Jim. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> Uh, you beat me to the punch. I'm a little disappointed about it, but I thought that was a great decision to to make the ant the ant colony as well. Um, it just it just worked. Like it it just made sense for yeah. Ant Man for that to be like an opportunity for you know reaching their objective. Well, and I, it's it, kind it, of it unique, right? It's a it's a unique right. scene that they can do in this quantum realm, rather than it just being a standard you know, maybe a Star Wars world <laughs> like you see with the, the the creatures. This like I that's a great part of the movie. And I think one of the more interesting Agreed. writing points. Now the Baskin Robbins guy, did they need him? But you know it's Ant Man. They want Paul no, Rudd to be joking. It was funny. They want, Paul it was Rudd joking is hilarious. So Yeah. Yeah. Well to to clarify my disdain, I just disliked the Baskin Robbins probability guy. I the scene itself, even without the parallel to the ant colony and the swarm, which is great. I love the scene even more now. I love the scene in itself. It was awesome. I did not like the Baskin-Robbins guy because there was only one variation. If you're going to have one variation of yeah, probability, you need, you need to have yeah. multiple. Why wasn't there regular clothes Ant-Man? Why wasn't there, uh, I don't know, any so, other version? Why wasn't there prison Scott Lang? I, there could have been so many more, and that would have made sense. But they just had one hey, Baskin-Robbins guy. Was, that's the only version of himself that he wants to be. He doesn't exactly. want to be prison Scott Lang. He <laughs> yeah, aspires he to be the employee of the century Scott okay, Lang. Okay, then let him be street <laughs> clothes yeah, he dad got, Scott He got awarded Lang. that at the very end when he got his cake for Cassie. You're telling me this is the essence of all probability, one of the most powerful yeah, chambers he, of, yes, of consciousness in the entire existence <laughs> yes. of humanity. He achieves... And there's only two yes, possibilities? He achieves the orb and saves the universe, or he fucking serves ice cream. What do you want, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is all you get. Kang the Conqueror. There's nothing else. Okay, so I do want I, I do want to say one other thing about this scene. The 
often in a lot of these movies and shows when someone is saying getting smothered or they're like you they're seemingly about to die and then they hear something maybe they like battle of the bastards like when you hear Uh, i can't what's another example that's a clap he hears cassie that's a clap for chris often you're like oh now he's gonna have the will to climb up the but because he heard cassie and the rest of them heard that he heard cassie then they became one because they love cassie you know and that's what started the (laughs) and andrew i'll remind you that that is what saved him from the quantum realm in the first film cassie's voice true true Mm, and like that doesn't often work but this this specific situation it works that wasn't me i'll take i'll credit screen crush for that one i bet you're gonna credit screen crush for the post-credit scene too you know what? Uh-oh. I'm glad. Let's, let's just. Do we have any other uh, favorite moments um, from the the actual movie? And we'll talk about this, the post credits in a minute here. But before we get to that, any other favorite oh, scenes yes. that we should discuss? Yes. Uh, as a character outside of Veb and Quaz and Gentora, uh, played by Katie O'Brien or Katie O'Brien, my bad. Um, James Cutler, who played Zalem was such an awesome character as a uh, destructive lantern. Oh, or- oh, yeah. I, oh. I thought he was oh, awesome yeah. as a character. And I was... Eulogy yeah, music. Yeah, played the eulogy <laughs> music. That was so sad when he died. So sad. Yeah, that was yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty sweet. Uh, especially the special effects in that scene where Kang, like, basically sort of light-bended his energy focus and then shot it back at him but um yeah that that was sick yeah that that was pretty cool i totally agree with that the the little characters were were great in the little microverse Mm -hmm. there the two scenes i'm going to talk about no longer than a minute each i thought bill murray worked i agree i really liked him Mm. i don't understand anyone that thought that he shouldn't be there Uh, first of all the list of marvel uh, actors and actresses just continues to grow into a legendary combination. <laughs> yes. uh, there's nothing that you can say now that we have Bill freaking Murray in the Marvel Universe as a canon yeah. character. And, and I also thought, like, you know, he was pretty good. I think he adapted to the superhero realm well well enough. I, he didn't need to be there for more than five minutes, and so we don't need to talk right. about him for more than mm-hmm. one. But I thought it worked. Oh, can, I, it, can I? Can do you I have something on Bill Murray? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, it's it's gonna be real quick. It's it's maybe throw in theory music. I don't know, but Ooh. I would love a scene. Okay, you're wasting time. I would love a scene in the, <laughs> in the MCU going forward. Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, make it happen. Make it happen, Kevin Feige. I want to see it happen. Yeah, in the same room. Throw the two of them together. So I agree, Chris. He was great. I just still think that they didn't need that entire sequence and they could have just had Kang enter the the building immediately and let's get to the point of this film rather than Michelle That's Pfeiffer's true. character just saying, it's him. It's him. Yeah. It's him. It, Bill Murray falls into... It was a fun scene. It was awesome. I love the as, as great as that little scene was for him and, and it, right. how... I mean, my theater gasped. The, my theater gasped when yeah. Bill Murray came on screen and people were, you know, whispering, yeah, hushing. I love yeah. that. The, the second scene that I'd like to talk about is, is, is just kind of the battle. Mm. I thought the battle was pulled off really sure. well. I thought the, both the large scale and the small scale fighting was effective. I, I thought uh, the, the bridge code scene was actually very, very divisive in making it believable. Mm. It's just a quick little scene where 
there's like a turret firing on all of the armed forces. Right. And then what some of the main characters go and take it over and, and, uh, she goes, well, what is the bridge code? <laughs> and he doesn't. He said, I'd rather die first. And then he just reads his mind. And <laughs> then they incredible. get the bridge going. And then the forces <laughs> are able to fight. The theater laughed when that moment happened. Like, that was yeah. really funny. Oh, it was a great yeah. joke. It was perfect it delivery. Was and well it was done. effective in the sense that there were yeah. two battles going Connected on. There it. was the superhero battle with large Ant-Man and large Cassie, you know, versus Modok and Kang. And then there was the small battle where... The, the the fight for survival, the freedom fighting actually came to a head. It, it wasn't just a plot point to say, oh, these are survivors and that's just so happens to be who Scott and Cassie meet. No, this was actually a fight. As much as Michelle Pfeiffer and her character did not tell anyone outside of the quantum realm about the freedom fighting, there was actually yeah. freedom fighting and it made sense in that universe. And I thought the battle scene was pulled yep. off really yeah, well. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. Yeah, I thought the Cassie hologram actually worked pretty effectively. Um, Shout out to Andor. Yeah, if we if we compare yeah. that to the Marva Andor uh, hologram in terms of like galvanizing the <laughs> anarchy in, in the realm, I thought Cassie's worked better personally. Uh, I, I thought she was pretty effective. In Are you of, serious? I did. I did. Yeah, I completely what? disagree. I was going to let it yeah, slide I thought that it you worked thought better. that was a good hologram. I, didn't even, I thought that was a terrible Kick hologram. Kick him off the pod. I, Marva's I, in, like... I thought it worked better. Oh, I, I, I might Yikes. have to quit the pod. Ladies and gentlemen <laughs> of the Holocron Hoopla fandom... Are you serious? You, you may be up in arms Marva, at this. And I'd have the to Marvel hologram monologue. was incredible. I did think the Cassie was pretty. I didn't that think was Cassie was terrible. I never, I never, I never thought the Marvel one was like spectacular, which is why I'm, oh, I'm leaning in this. No. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, Holo I, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to bring it. We're bringing it back to yeah, anime. We might apologize. have to take five. <laughs> we apologize <laughs> for anything that Jake has said. The opinions expressed on this podcast are not held by the Hoopla <laughs> Podcast Network. Um, I I think it was a pretty Jake, good hologram. Uh, I've actually just put a five minute meeting for Friday five o'clock on your calendar. If you could uh, go ahead and, and uh, yeah, just accept gonna, that I'm meeting, I'm gonna deny that real quick. Uh, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Cassie Lang project a hologram to say employee no. of the century has been rescinded. I apologize. <laughs> we have to redo introductions. But oh, no. at the very end of the fight scene was one of my other favorite moments of the film because, you know, <laughs> they're setting up Kang to be this huge villain for the rest of you know the next few phases. So I went into this expecting Kang to maybe not full on win this movie, but not get fully defeated. So then when he was fighting one on one with Ant-Man trying to get through the portal and then he you know, is just beating up Ant-Man over and over. Mm. Ant-Man has his I can do this all day moment, which I think was a very cool character moment for Scott to have. But then sure. Kang said it. is taking off unimpeded it. towards the portal. No. And then the wasp dives back through in her wasp form and punches him. And you see him from the back just kind of get stopped out of nowhere. That was another moment. I was like, oh, damn, that was awesome. Which goes to show you that Ant-Man can't defeat him by himself. Sure, the Ant family right. can m not defeat him fully, but at least Hold their put own. him into Hold the them. portal. I do want my favorite. Right. Oh, another right. favorite moment I had is the introduction of the ants into that fighting scene. That was so cool and shows you the real mm. power level of Hank Pym. I don't know if you guys have watched yeah, the What If episode with that's Hank Pym where he goes evil. Watch that that uh, What If episode. He kills all the Avengers. It's incredible. And you can see that's why. 
I wish I one thing about that scene. I do wish we saw more capabilities of the ants in that moment. I just felt like with being recognized as a you know level two civilization, as Chris was discussing earlier, I wanted to see more abilities. I wanted to see more you know effects that were capable or you know able to be produced by these super ants. Which it would have been cool yeah. if they introduced them earlier in the fight, maybe you know in their fighting with the actual rebellion right just comparably to like the previous Ant-Man films i didn't think there was just as significant as a jump as there should have been from just like a regular ant to like this world order like well civilized right, yeah. it just yeah. it, it wasn't significant enough they did just kind of they were like ants again it's just they had like helmets over... now yeah. <laughs> like helmet ants <laughs> like there's no difference there wasn't like some like psionic right. powers right. or advanced tech right. they just kind of ran into right, the right, enemy exactly and i, <laughs> Which I, I guess feel like if they had been... do, so <laughs> but like i feel like if they had more of these abilities it would have made more sense of the defeat of kang like his yeah. his yeah. armor could have gotten destroyed more effectively i don't yeah know. i agree but that's that's kind of but I'm now it's sure. the moment we've all been waiting for everybody who stuck around this long into the podcast it is finally time for chris's surprise segment that he has for us that we teased two hours ago it's <laughs> <laughs> not so much a surprise segment i i just i have uh, once i saw and and if if we're going into the end credits here by the way there's a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene you got that jim so if you haven't seen those <laughs> you'll you'll need to see those before any of our conversation makes sense and again for this recording i'll tell you gentlemen uh, is there anything else you want to tackle before we head into the end or no, the let's dive and the into it scene? Let's go. Let's talk about it in general first, but then I want to put three points together towards the tail end of our conversation that I think really drive home how the post credit scene saved Marvel and saved Phase 4. But first of all, what did you guys think of the mid credits scene, the Council Ooh. of Kangs and the, the calling of all I Kangs? loved it. I hated how they ended the film. If they were not separated scenes, I think it would have worked more effectively. I, the end of the actual film, I left unfulfilled. Mm. It felt as though the uh, movie did yeah. not reach okay, a satisfactory conclusion. Like in the restaurant, instead have- And then mid-credits, yes. Yeah. Oh, the cake. Instead have it as the actual ending. So outside of, you know, outside of the whole situation with uh, Janet Van Dyne, this was the thing that took me out of the movie the most, because I was like- we did it. We did it. We finally got rid of Kang. And, and Scott Lang's like, did I do it? Did it actually happen? Oh, that was weird. No, it actually did happen. Yeah. Oh, wait. But did it actually happen? Like, they were trying to make it funny. I didn't but, like yeah, it. That wasn't great. I, yeah, but it didn't work. They could have just pulled that mid credit scene as the last I scene. Agree. And that would have been yes, nuts. And that would have been so much better. So much better. Which is a testament to the mid credit scene. Yeah, but they're, they were well. trying to put too much emphasis Anyhow, this is getting too far tangent off of what Chris is trying to get at. Chris, please proceed. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's what I wanted to talk about. Okay. You're exactly right. I, 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 well, well. First of all, we, I, if you read ahead, and and I'm not a huge fan of like reading into the MCU contract deals, who's going to play what character and things like that. But as a fan of the MCU, I'm also a fan of the comics. Now, I don't spend a lot of time reading them, but researching and exploring them certainly, and of course. I'll be honest, having people tell me about the comics, <laughs> mostly in YouTube videos, that makes a lot of sense for me. But we, we know that the, the Council of Kangs is, is coming based yeah. on the MCU now. We, we've seen the, the three ringleaders, and then, of course, they're summoning all of the other Kangs. 
So I, I thought that scene, in terms of what we can see from Kang in the future, worked out really well. But Jake, I really like the way you put it. The end of the movie, if you don't talk about how Marvel does these mid and post credit scenes, was very unfulfilling. Yes. Uh, just as the cake was unfulfilling for Scott. <laughs> uh, I, I, I liked the, 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 you know, kind of the, oh, I missed a lot of birthdays. Let's have a birthday right. party for you. That was yes. sweet. That was a great, you know, full character moment for well, Scott though. and Cassie. But you're right. The movie itself just ended with that. Oh, maybe they beat the bad guy. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. It, that that seems very flawed. Uh, so I agree with that. Uh, Jamie, Andrew, any notes mid-credit to add on the mid credit scene? The one scene that Jamie <laughs> saw. Mid credit scene, I thought was very cool. Like I and I'm I'm aware of kind of like the Council of Kings, what they're gonna do versus the Avengers going forward. But just seeing, you know, I'm sorry for always pulling this back to Star Wars, guys, but in Rise of Skywalker, you see all the Sith <laughs> in the, the stadium around. This was cool because it was oh, very similar seeing all the Kangs just like, let's repeat Jonathan Majors 10,000 times and put him in the background, which I think is a really interesting thing to uh, to view. Now, I'm. it makes me wonder. It's like yeah. so there's the three kind of leaders um of of those kangs i i kind of want to just see like what are the lesser kangs what are the more powerful kangs like how do they interact together we know there's a kree kang Kang. there's a forest whitaker impression saw guerrera kang who seems to be like the leader (laughs) yeah i like that guy i'm sorry all all i could think of in this moment was the council of ricks in this one yeah Yeah, i was like this is just such a farce I, I wish I had never seen I wish I had never seen Rick and Morty because this, this scene would have been so much more effective. Like so much more effective. For all of you listening right now, Chris is uh headbanging and celebrating and he's exploding. He's going super cyan. Saiyan? Jake. <laughs> Jake, I'm so glad you said it because let me introduce you to Jeff Loveness who has come up recently, if you've been following what's happened with Rick and Morty and Justin Mm. Roiland, who is a piece of hoopla (laughs) uh, that we've recently found out, as creatively brilliant as he may be, he's trash now that we've learned after the domestic abuse charges and everything. Get him off the pod, get him off the show, get him off everything. But in the background of Rick and Morty all this time, Jeff Loveness has been writing some of the best Rick and Morty episodes, if you are a fan of Rick and Morty. He wrote the Vat of Acid episode. He wrote uh, uh, a couple of others, Mort Dinner, Rick Andre, a couple of the big Rick and Morty memorable episodes. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. Because he also contributed Mm. writing to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and has been confirmed to sign on for the rest of Phase 5 and Phase 6's writing. So when you said Rick and Morty, last night I was doing my research and... That is actually a holy matrimony ready to happen. That is insane. Because Jeff Loveness is heavily involved with this. The Council of Ricks, yes, the Council of Kangs. And of course, you know, the, the microverse, Simpsons did it first. Simpsons have always done it first. That's, that's to be sure. <laughs> there's but always a Simpsons Rick and Morty episode. and Jeff Loveness yeah, are, are now tied to Marvel. And if you like Rick and Morty, some people do, some people don't. If you enjoy what they have to offer in terms of the scientific level, maybe not so much the comedy, then you're going to be excited for what's to come for the multiversal level threats in the rest of Phase 5 and Phase 6, because Jeff Loveness is behind it in a huge way. That's amazing. 
All that being That's said, <clears throat> I'd like to now transition. Jamie, did you have any thoughts on the Council of Kings? Nope. Uh, let's the let's go to the scene. end credit scene. This one that I missed because I left the theater too unbelievable. <laughs> so, Chris, tell me all about it. Uh, I, I wanted to know. Andrew, you had one more note. Just a question. Was he who remains in that arena? And actually, I think I know what you're going to go for, Chris, because oh. is Kang the Conqueror? Go for it, Chris. Andrew, you've given me the perfect segue because I have three major points that I'd like to discuss about the post credit scene. Number one, Victor Timely is dope. Is a dope yeah, name yeah. for a person, yes, first of all. Indeed. Second of all, we know that Victor Timely is a Kang sent back from the, the future to actually be in the past and, and kind of like a, oh, if I go back to the 1900s with the technology and the knowledge that I have, then I could probably be the best inventor slash magician of all time. So that confirms a lot of, of things we know about Kang. And, and again, if you remember the scene... This was a Loki tease so for, Loki for Loki season 100%. two, because we see Victor Timely up on stage, who is a Kang, and we see him introducing kind of a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey machine. But in the audience are a bunch of people who have no idea what's going on, except for Loki and Mobius. Yes. And Loki That's is my first point. Owen that Wilson! Yeah. My second oh, point... Owen Wilson goes, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Time. <laughs> My second point is, is kind of the meat and potatoes of this particular argument. Kang, the Conqueror, from Quantumania, is he who remains. Wow. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp pushed him into the multiversal engine or whatever, because, again, he didn't really die. He got kind of shrunk down, just like Darren did, just like... Uh, uh, if you get sucked into the quantum realm, that's kind of how you look. You shrink and you go subatomic, all that jazz. I, I think he will get multiversal travel powers, the ability to control it all, know it all, see it all, and be it all because of that, similar to how Captain Marvel got her powers absorbing from an Infinity Stone. And that's how he becomes he who remains at the end of Loki season one. Mm. There's some evidence to this. When we first meet He Who Remains, he's holding an apple, a yellow apple, which looks incredibly similar now to the golden orb <laughs> that helps him travel through multiverses. Interesting. Uh, in general, uh, he has an affinity for gold and more importantly, circles. So those two are very tied together. And I rewatched that scene. I encourage you, listeners, <laughs> dear, dear listeners, if you are a Marvel fan that likes things being tied together, Go watch the final episode of Loki once oh, more. Go watch, go watch all of Loki <laughs> again, oh, yeah. especially if you watch haven't it twice seen. more. Go, go watch it twice more. I don't care, but at least go watch that final episode because from start to finish, that final episode is so much more effective now that we have seen our first glimpse into Kang the Conqueror. In that scene, he has been changed, and and he's he's seen some stuff in winning the multiversal war. Remember, if you do remember. From Loki, he who remains is the end-all be-all. He conquered all the other kings. He won the multiversal war in order to keep the timeline safe. He is that same king that Scott and Hope just defeated. And, and, and I think that is what ties Loki through the thread of all the rest of, of Marvel. And I especially think that that kind of saves Phase 4 because it makes it all worth it. Remember, Phase 4 started with WandaVision, with Loki, with like, oh, what are they going to do now that Thanos 
you know, the, the universe is saved. The only thing bigger than uni is multi. Now we have to save the multiverse. And we've got, of course, we got it in full name. We've got Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange. But I think that Loki was the first key, truly, and that this Kang is the same as He Who Remains. Hit the theory music, Jake. Yeah, yeah, you know what? And cue the theory music. Cue the theory music. He's so much more relaxed. He, 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 he's, he's devil may care. Oh, kill me. I don't care if you remember from Loki. Kill me, I don't care. You really need to watch this scene. We need to put in an insert before my big segment about please watch that whole scene first because it makes so much more sense. But I promise you, if you go watch that. Should we should we audio format that scene into this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> you could. That's a that's a very interesting theory, Chris. I, I like I like that theory because. I mean, he who remains claims that there's this other big evil Kang who is the conqueror is going to take over. But you're saying that he who remains is the conqueror himself. Exactly. Mm. And the only reason he can say that is because it, with an infinite amount of timelines that are not kept under control, he knows that one Kang would eventually rise to Correct. be the conqueror because he knew it happened because it already happened. It was him. He is him. Uh. He has a line in the Loki conversation when he's explaining the whole shebang, the whole gambit to Loki and Sylvie. He says, I'm tired. I'm older than I look. This game is for the young and the hungry. Well, we just got introduced to one of the most hungry villains. He has a reason to get out of the quantum realm. He, he is desperate to go back and burn out the rest of the Kangs that exiled him. He does that. <laughs> he burns he them does out that, with the TVA. And then he's he who remains. Oh, yeah. That's, that's wow. my theory. That's my theory. There's a third part of this theory, and this is the most outlandish part. I don't have a lot of evidence for this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But if Marvel can pull this off, I think it would be one of the most effective storytelling devices we've ever seen and truly would make, make Phase 4 seem much, much more impactful. If you're listening, Marvel, you can borrow this, even if you haven't thought about it before. The threshold scene in Loki at the end of that episode where thunder rumbles, time seems to slow down, and Kang does, he who remains, no longer knows what's going to happen. Remember that scene? Yes. Yes. Everyone goes quiet and he says, this is it. This is the convergence point. I don't know what's going to happen from here on out. I think that is the first scene, not necessarily they're going to play the scene, but I think that's the first scene in the mm. next Avengers movie. That point in time is oh, where the multiversal war starts again. Like that first scene when it converges. Kang Dynasty, yes. Because if you'll remember, Loki ends with Loki getting yeah, sent to another dimension or- and Sylvie killing he who remains. Mm. So chaos is going to reign. My most outlandish part Loki is being shown to us out of order. I don't have a lot of evidence for this, but I think that scene is the quote-unquote final scene of Loki, and season two is going to be in a different timeline before that moment happens. I don't have a lot of evidence for that. Focus on the meat and potatoes of my argument that he who remains is the same Kang as Kang the Conqueror from Ant-Man. And wow, scene. I'm really excited for the audiences <laughs> to be able to understand that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, 
I, I really worked on that last night. I even rehearsed it. <laughs> um, it's in front of the that is interesting. I do think there's going to be a lot of interesting things going on with the timelines and time loops and things being yeah. out of order. We're no longer going to have just a chronological series of events in the MCU like Kang that we saw in Quantumania, which, hey, this is a podcast about Quantumania. If you guys forgot, we're still here, baby. We watched a movie. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Are we sorry. Start talking about the X-Men soon because I really want to get We should. Yeah. Uh, no need to apologize, Chris. That was a wonderful segment. But just to wrap it up, bring us back to Quantumania. The Kang we saw in Quantumania discussed how many Avengers he has killed in the past. And he's, you know, yes, he references yes. multiple times that like time is a circle. And so yeah. he yeah. is going to be defeated. Yes. He even draws it. Himself. He draws it multiple times. So he will be defeated. Right. He may have been defeated by the Avengers in the past and sent to this quantum realm by the Avengers. He will then escape from the quantum realm to fight the Avengers again, lose to the Avengers, get sent back to this quantum realm, rinse and repeat, escape, well, fight, well, lose. One thing I would want escape, to note, fight, lose, escape, fight, it's, lose. It's more so... Rinse and repeat until Loki. Right. It, more so, it's not just the Avengers. It's the other Kangs, too. Like, they're the ones that exile him. Right. True. Um, right. So that's what I'm interested in. Right. Because that's how he I'm ended up there. I'm interested to see in right. Kang Dynasty thousands of Kangs versus the Avengers with this one Kang, Kang the Conqueror, that we've met in Quantumania as the, the one to come and rule it all. Like, third act, Kang the Conqueror comes and conquers everyone. That's what I want to see. So just to button up my theory, Kang the Conqueror from Ant Man Quantumania is now dead. I don't believe that theory. That's my theory. He's it's he who remains, who dies at the end of the That is on the books. I don't believe it at all, but I like the intent. I like the research. Okay. Uh we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I like it. I like it. Yeah. We'll see what happens. In five years from now. So thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Hero Hoopla podcast. A lot of great discussions here today about the the future of the MCU. This movie Kicking off phase five, leading us into the new Kang dynasty. I think there's going to be a lot of very exciting things to come, and we'll see how many of these wonderful theories will be proved to be true. But as we end every episode of the Hoopla podcast, we got to do a quick round of reviews. What you thought of this movie, Jamie, you go first, because you never get to go first. I just got usurped from my duties. Yeah. This is insane. My goodness. Andy the Conqueror. <laughs> yes. I mean, this movie, I, I did not enjoy it visually. Maybe that was the 3D IMAX. Maybe that was my eyes are bad. Uh, it was a, a very unenjoyable viewing experience. The cinematography was not creative. As like the action scenes, fine. The the details of the world, fine. They were cool, but so much of this movie, especially the first two thirds of it, was just discussions between people about a th- a third party yeah. who they refuse to give a name to or give any details about. They just say, "Hey, there's a person." <laughs> Terrible, <laughs> really boring. I'm gonna give it a five out of ten. Ooh, hoopla. hoopla! Hey, what about hey, you, Andy? Well, no. What about you, Chris? Yeah, as the host here, the <laughs> Hoopla Podcast. What do you think? <laughs> oh and, and he's still conquering 
I, I, I agree. It's completely middle of the road. This was simply a movie. It's a movie. Uh, but that doesn't matter in the grander scheme of things. This was the third Ant-Man film in what presumably is a sort of kind of mini arc trilogy. The, the humor was still there. and I think a lot of it still worked. Some of the more ridiculous things like Modoc maybe didn't, but we've talked about that at plenty. I think the 5 out of 10 rating is perfect, Jamie. This movie was just a springboard, a lot like Phase 4. This was kind of the final jumping point into Phase 5 in saying, out with the old, in with the new, and that's all it needed to be. We got the introduction to our, our, our main villain for the next couple of films and phases, even though we don't really know how he's coming back, we know we're gonna, he's gonna, they're going to bring him back. So all we needed to do was get those introductions in. We needed to bring Scott and Ant-Man into full circle with his daughter, Maybe we get some more Young Avengers stuff out of Cassie going forward. We'll talk about that in the future. But this movie did what it needed to do, even though it was just a pretty tame, basic, beginning, middle, and end hero's journey. Uh, nothing too special about it. I, I didn't have the same visual impediments that, that Jamie did or, or, or that some of the 3D viewers might have had. I watched it in 2D, but visually, everything was fine. It's just, it was a movie. It was just a movie. Five out of Beautiful. ten seems perfect. And stealing back host duties. Oh, man, Jake, what did you do think? It. Oh, he conquered. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yes. He conquered. Um, for me, I thought this movie was visually stunning. I don't know if it was my <laughs> eyes or the IMAX 3D format, but I thought this movie was an outstanding masterpiece to just lay eyes upon. Oh, man. Um, outside of that, I will give this a 7.3. Wow. I need to take a piss. Ooh. No further questions. That was really good. Um, 7.3. And finally, Go. Andrew Smith, the lore master of the Hoopla podcast. How will you rate this movie? I'm just going to give you a, a, a 6 out of 10 here. This movie, sure. while it was fun, there was sure. great action scenes. Jonathan Majors was great. 10 out of 10. The dialogue was less, less than uh, something that we would expect. Uh, it was terrible. Like, the, yep. the dialogue was terrible. Yeah. The humor was not very <laughs> great. Actually, I'm talking myself into moving it down to a five. There you five go. Join the five club. Here the Ant-Man <laughs> uh, thanks so much, everyone. Yeah. And shout out to <laughs> the director of photography for the next Marvel movie. You are allowed to do something other than close up shots of individuals. <laughs> you did great, buddy. Keep on going. <laughs> and I'll just I'll leave you with a hopeful parting moment here. The writer of this movie is also writing Avengers Kang Dynasty, so really excited for that. Um, hoopla. So. <laughs> hoopla! Hoopla! What the hoopla? <laughs> what the hoopla? And as we end every episode of the Hoopla podcast, it is time for the moment of highest hoopla. The quote of the movie, what do you have for us from this wonderful Ant-Man and the Wasp quantumania, Andy Smith? As Scott Lang said, I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. That's what I said when I bought my ticket to see the movie. <laughs> <laughs>